This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You know that we're giving away an album free wing on July 1st, and if you're a supporter, then you're already entered to win it. If not, and you'd like to support our work, it is only five bucks a month, and if you set up the support before July 1st, Pacific Standard Time, you'll be entered to win the surfboard as well. And if album doesn't have a free wing in stock that fits your dimensions, Matt Parker will build you one. The free wing is a board that he spent six months designing with Jack Freestone. I think it was mostly, I think Jack felt the pressure of like wanting to, he's like a, he's a very talented, high performing surfer. So there's a little bit, I think sometimes a little, not a nervousness, but a little bit of a performance anxiety, right? When you're jumping on something that's perceived as like an alternative board or a fun board of like, am I still going to be able to go out and shred and look good and get clips on it? And so I think this was like a real safety of like, oh, I feel comfortable on this, and I can kind of branch out, but there's kind of a steady, um, it just feels comfortable and natural, so that I can kind of bounce from a shortboard to it really easily, but I can definitely, it feels like, oh, this is a, a, a progression at the same time, which is kind of cool. Over the years, we talk a lot about mid-lengths or fish, mainly because we're all over 40 and we're not really that fit anymore. But Jack's young and he still does crazy airs, so the free wing is the perfect bridge board. Just a step away from what he was riding on the CT, but absolutely accessible for you and I. From like first glance at the free wing, if you kind of blur your eyes, it almost looks like a shortboard. You know, it's not that much wider. Um, it probably, it probably carries volume wise, like a liter and a half more than his shortboard would, but kind of in a little bit of a shorter package. So he rides it like 5'11", 19 and a half, touch wider, and then like two and a half. And, um, uh, but so main characteristics of it, it's kind of a performance outline with a little fuller nose and it has um, kind of a late wing into a, like a, a squash tail. So it's kind of like a standard shortboard squash tail. And the, what the wing does is it lets a little bit more width run through kind of the drive zone. So in between the feet, the outline's a little straighter, which just carries, makes the board feel really fast. So if you see clips of him riding it, when he really locks in on his bottom turn and he's projecting down the line, you can see the thing just really accelerate and take off. And then when he goes up in the lip and to hit it, that's when that little uh, wing kind of frees it up and it gives him kind of a breaking point where the board will release, release at the lip, release when he wants to. And so you get like a really fun combination of a, of, of a shortboard that feels like it goes faster than a normal shortboard would go, but it's freed up also a little bit more too. So it's like this cool little balance of the two. And if you switch up the fin configuration, it actually plays double duty for a few other board genres. So it's one board that could replace two or three in your quiver. The idea with this one really was something that you can realistically ride as a tri-fin thruster setup, like your favorite thruster fin setup, or two plus one you know, twin trailer, and you can go back and forth. And so um, guys that are maybe afraid to jump fully on the 
go all twin fin because they feel like that's a little bit too much of a leap. This is a board that you can, you really can't do both. So if it's, let's say it's really good bowly day and you want just your, your the, you know, consistent grip and feel of your thruster, you put your tri-fin set in there and you're gonna be able to pivot and bank off the bottom like you normally would. And then if the waves are a little less or you want to free it up a little bit, you put the twins in with a little something, a little stabilizer in the, in the trailer box and you can feel the feeling of a little bit more freedom, a little bit more speed, a little looser. The album Free Wing, a mere $5 contribution gets you entered to win and you will have the pride of knowing that you're helping archive these conversations for the future and investing in many more episodes to come surfsplendorpodcast.com and of course we'll link you to album surf where you can order a free wing today if you don't want to wait all right thanks so much for your support and your consideration on to today's show it is finally board short season around here thankfully i'm trunking it with a wetsuit top and even if I'm only doing cutbacks on a mushy three-foot wave, I like knowing that my board shorts are capable of eight-hour sessions at backdoor. John John Florence built his brand around the board short. It is the only essential piece of equipment for surfing other than a surfboard. So after two decades of experience wearing board shorts through all of the elements, John John and his team at Florence Marine X designed a quick drying recycled polyester board short with four way stretch, triple needle stitch for strength and durability, stitch free inseam and smooth sire interior to reduce the dreaded chafe. Again, the key component of John's success is time in the water. So the board short to end all board shorts at FlorenceMarineX.com. Use promo code SURF for the next seven days only to receive 20% off your first order. So FlorenceMarineX.com. Promo code is the word SURF. You'll support our work here and you will get the best pair of board shorts you've ever worn tested beyond comprehension by the one and only John John Florence. Enjoy. And Waterways Travel is the only resource that you need to put you in the best waves on the planet. Imagine having a buddy who has a vacation spot in a dream destination with all the local spots dialed. His house is plush. He tells you what boards you're going to want to bring for which conditions. He knows all the boat drivers, the best local restaurants. He'll sort out all of the transfers so there's zero stress getting from the airport into the surf. Well, that friend's name is Sean Murphy, and he has spent the last 30 years doing all of that for you, for me, for the surf industry, for professional surfers. He's done it so thoroughly that he's developed resorts in Samoa and Roti, Indonesia. His network of offerings, which is of course available on waterwaystravel.com, extends from South Africa to Central America to the South Pacific. All of the destinations that you've fantasized about, Waterways will get you there and ensure that you score. And I'd go a step further and say the reason you fantasize about them is because Waterways was sending Surfer Magazine and their editorial staff and their athletes there um, from the 90s through the 2000s. And so that is why it's a fantasy for you. So why wouldn't you use the original, the premier surf 
travel agency. Waterwaystravel.com. The world is opening up. Make up for lost time and enjoy. Things could be stranger, but I don't know how. I'm going through changes now. In the past decade, when it comes to high-performance alternative shortboards, you would be hard-pressed to find a better constructed, more beautiful, more innovatively designed board than Vulcan surfboards. No shade to anyone else out there. There are lots of greats out there, but Vulcan is right up there with them. That was until COVID. While almost all other brands saw record sales through 2020 and 2021, and while demand for Vulcan surfboards was also allowing him to set industry-high retail pricing, Dane Hans quietly withdrew Vulcan surfboards from the market. The circumstances of life limited my communications with Dane over these past two years. But I had been tracking him on social media and I was thinking about him a lot, partially because I wanted to hear about what happened with Vulcan, and secondly, because I had seen that he was doing these very intricate custom cuts for other board builders on his modified Shape 3D shaping machine, cuts that I hadn't seen done with other machines. I had kind of thought of the shaping machine as just being a tool to expedite assembly line replication shaping processes, but what Dane was doing seemed to be as complex, thoughtful, and bespoke as any shaping that I had previously seen done with a hand planer. So it was high time that we did another podcast to catch up. Previous episodes with Dane include episode 177 and episode 308 in our archives if you want to go back and listen to those. But first, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with San Diego board builder Dane Hans. Things could be different, but I don't know how. I'm going through changes, through all of the strangeness. Dane Hans, welcome back to Thank the program. You. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, Love all the new gear. This is really slick. Thank you. Yeah, we've come a long way in the podcast world. Right. Um, so we're sitting in Paragon and uh, formerly associated with Vulcan. I think COVID's been wonderful for the surfboard business. It's been insane. And uh, we saw a lot of you know, people selling more boards than they've ever sold, ex- sold, expanding their business, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. How has COVID been for you? Uh, well, I mean, it was good and bad. Like, honestly, I've, I, um, <laughs> I experienced both. I saw um, the worst of it, uh, watched my sister die. And that was tough. From, um, from COVID? Yeah. So I was kind of like down low on that uh, when she was ill because um, I didn't really know how the whole COVID thing was going to play out. Uh, and I didn't want, you know, to come out and say that. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't know, it's such a weird world these days. And, like, you're afraid, like, what you want to admit to the court of public opinion or 
whatnot. So I kind of played her on the down low. But yeah, she got Delta and ooh, uh, and keep going. Had um, a really bad, uh, a really bad time, and it was unreal because I saw that COVID is as much a respiratory illness as it is a neurological, as much as it is a cardiovascular. Uh, disease and she was affected in all those ways um, not only did she have like the severe uh, fluid in the lungs damage there but she was paralyzed from the neck down um, and couldn't speak uh, and then ultimately died of a heart attack after she got um, after she got over the respiratory part so that was really hard because uh, as you know, my mom and dad had also passed away just prior to that. So I had a really, really hard run um, that led up to 2020. Um, so that was really tough. And on the flip side of the coin, um, we were going through the lockdowns uh, and what is an essential business and are we essential? I don't know. And I thought like, well, we might as well just shut down. Um, but as it was, things got busier than ever. Um, I think anybody who made any kind of board or toy or bike or whatever, like saw a massive increase in business. Uh, people, uh, now with the work from home thing, they had a lot of leisure time. And then with stimulus checks, uh, there was just an explosion of business, um, which kind of irritated me at first when I I, you know, because I would see people come in and, and wanting to buy boards and like this. shouldn't you be spending this on rent and groceries? Um, but, you know, ultimately it finds its way into the economy. And as we're seeing now, maybe that's not such a great thing with inflation. And it's been a, a crazy time. But what's interesting is that uh, we saw through 2020, 2021, that there was this huge uh, demand for, for boards and an explosion of business that was caused by the two factors that I mentioned, people were uh, having more free time and more disposable income. Um, and then I thought, well, that'll be like a flash in the pan. And as soon as that uh, works its way through the pipe, then things are gonna go back to normal. It got busier and I couldn't figure it out until I finally realized what was happening is that, um, all of the manufacturers that were producing boards overseas um, were having a hard time getting things into the country. Uh, and it wasn't just logistically having a hard time, but also the cost, the cost of bringing in a container into the U.S. like quadrupled, if not five times over. Crazy. Yeah. So now all of a sudden it's not economically feasible to produce over there. So everyone's trying to figure out how can we do it here? Uh, and that caused like the second explosion uh, in business. And that was, that's been, been wild. Um, now the landscape is kind of changing. We'll see how it goes. Um, I would, I don't know if I, um, we could use some time, maybe some downtime to like clean and fix things and do like the maintenance that uh, hasn't really been done because we've just been so busy trying to keep up. So. So in 2020, you thought about closing the business. Yeah. You decided not to because of all that demand. Yeah. Um, but you're not producing Vulcan surfboards anymore. So tell me about that story. Yeah. So it, um, 
you know, making custom boards is, um, it's hard. It's really tough. It's a very demanding job. And I found out that um, many of the things, actually everything that I did with Vulcan came from like a very, um, it came from a very emotional place. Um, and we were talking about Wayne earlier. And like, that's why I love Wayne, Wayne Rich is Wayne is like, he's really intense, you know, and, and like it conveys to everything that he does and you see it in his boards. Like you don't even have to, uh, you, you could put, if you didn't know Wayne, uh, you could put Wayne in a room and talk to him for five minutes and see his boards and a group of other boards and you'd know exactly which boards are Wayne's boards. And it's rad because there's a congruence. And um, I feel that too. There's like a certain intensity and an emotional depth that like goes into the things that you create. And after like all of the terrible things that I went through with, um, with my life, I found that I just could not do it. Uh, I would come in and, and try and, and recreate the things that like I had done. And I, I would look at my social media and see like all the things that I had done. And it's like, I didn't even, it's like, how did I do this? And it's like inside I was really fucked up really fucked up and I just couldn't do it and I felt like I can't bluff my way through this so it's a really good time to take a break from this um so lost inspiration creativity yeah I, I couldn't access that I feel like internally it was just everything was really mixed up and I could not convey uh that creativity into an artifact uh, and so, yeah, loss of inspiration, loss of creativity. But it was also weird, like, just physically and mechanically, like, I, I struggled with, like, how do I do these things? Um, so it's, it's not right to try and just fumble your way through it. Uh, and it's kind of unfortunate because I had, like, um, some collaborations and things like that that I need to come full circle on and, and kind of, like, tidy up. But I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Um, Can you explain how your business is structured that it would allow you to take a break from that side of it? Because I said initially we're sitting in Paragon. Yeah. So, so um, Paragon is um, the other thing that I do in the surf industry. And so what that is, is um, we are uh, millwork, scan, and design. Uh, and we also do a, a few other things, but... Um, so we work on the wholesale side, we work on the manufacturer's end. And, um, so, um, because it got so busy, you know, beginning in 2020, um, I was, although I was not billing Vulcans, like there was a huge demand for Paragon. Um, and it's great for me cause you know, I, I can stay busy and, I really enjoy having a supportive role uh, in the surf industry on the back end. I, I love the manufacturing side, uh, and I like um, I like helping people. I like working with people, and you get to work with, or we get to work with some amazing people, um, and so it's um, you know it's through all the ups and downs for going on 12, 13 years now, Paragon has always been a constant. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I've been up to. So for listeners, um, they've heard of shaping machines. Yeah. I would presume. Yeah. And 
they might assume that a shaper either owns that machine or has that machine in the factory. And so they can either hand shape a board or shape it on a machine. Mm. Paragon's actually a third party service. So shapers can send you their orders and their files. You cut the board for them, give it back to the shaper. The shaper finishes it by hand. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And where we really kind of excel, um, like sort of our niche is working with a lot of the, um, the more contemporary and like a lot of the older guys too, uh, surfer shapers who are transitioning into like the digital realm. Uh, and so, you know, we you know, scan their boards and refine their designs and get them ready for production and then uh, mill and then refine and work with them in that way. And that's really cool because uh, many of our relationships with the people we work with are, um, it's like a constant development. Like I've been working with Ryan Lovelace and uh, he's just, he's, uh, I love Ryan and it's been great to work for him, and we have a great re- working relationship, and we're constantly refining the, the files and updating things, and it's it's really cool, and uh, it helps him, and it's been a very rewarding relationship for us too. So that's been great. So, as those two businesses previously existed side by side, Paragon and Vulcan, in yeah. the same space, even in this building, um, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of funny observations with that too. And it's really, uh, it's, it's really interesting because they're not, um, those are two fucking hard businesses to have like under one roof. Yeah. And I had a lot of uh, people who are Paragon customers, um, I've had two in specific tell me like, dude, like you're such a nice guy. And like, I was so intimidated to come in here because they saw Vulcan and it like, you know, it, it's, I think they were uh, self-conscious maybe or something. Like you know, they didn't want to bring their board and have me like judge it or something right, or right, compare right. it to, you know, something which is not my trip at all. But it did make it kind of a complicated relationship. And the other thing is, is that like, I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, what's a good way to say this? Um so uh, there's um, there's a judgment about millwork uh, and, and scan all the things, all the digital things that we do in the surf industry. Where you know um, some people you know might they, they judge that, and I've always been open about it. I don't know what the big deal is, but some a lot of shapers really are. They're very clandestine about the fact that they're milling their boards, scanning them, and they don't want to know. So that created kind of a complicated situation too. Um, as it is, like that's really changing now, and it's more out in the open, and fewer people are, are closeted about it, uh, and rightly so, because um, yeah. we do some amazing things. But well, so I'll get to that in a second because that's really kind of the focus of what I wanted to have our conversation about. Oh, was, cool. Yeah. Uh, but before I do that, those businesses existed in your head as the Paragon thing is more um, not. Uh, you said. Vulcan being creative, it required inspiration, all that kind of stuff. Paragon, you could just kind of run as a business a little less passionately because it's a more nuts and bolts program, correct? Well, yeah, we'll see it. It's it's I think what I'm what I'm saying is that with Vulcan, like there there's really like there's two parts to Vulcan. Um, there's one, there's there's the shapes and the shaping and the plan form and the design of the boards. 
But then the other part, which I really consider, like, when you see a Vulcan, like, what it is mostly about is, like, the glassing. Okay. Uh, and the incorporation of, like, exotic fabrics and weaves and, and composites and things like that. So that's where what really hung, hung me up um, is, you know, doing, like, the super in, intensive uh, resin tinted with carbon on this complicated cut lap and like it's just like oh my gosh like um that's what was really challenging for me got it um so so. as it relates to the machine and the conversation about um there being you know in the surf space there was always the conversation of there's no soul in the machine yeah and there's soul in you know hand shaping and so people were anti-machine and then there became an acceptance of the machine for the ability to uh, hit volume. Yeah. For shapers who are expanding their businesses, there's only one way to kind of meet those numbers, and the machine allows you to do that. I think that conversation is shifting now even more. Mm. Um, and the machine, Absolutely, is, the machine yeah. is kind of being seen as uh, there is an art to the machine. Absolutely. There's an art to the design Absolutely. on the computer and the machine allowing you to do so let's kind of focus on, uh, let's talk about Ryan Lovelace first, since you brought him up, because yeah. Ryan was a guy who was anti-machine yeah. for a period of time, yeah. and now he's embraced the machine for a certain portion of his business, yeah. and it's probably unfair to him to have you explain his viewpoint. Uh, we should have Ryan explain it, and maybe we will in the future, but what is his rationale for incorporating the machine into his business? Well, I can tell you from my perspective what I've seen multiple times uh, over the last decade. Okay. Uh, and it, it's kind of a funny situation. And um, I was thinking of an analogy this last weekend, and it's it's really kind of interesting, so bear with me because okay. this is kind of long-winded, but sure. uh, I think it helps everyone to understand, and it helps me too to look at it. So I imagine like the, I imagine surfing is like this big tree, okay? It's this big tree and it's got a big round trunk. And if you looked inside there, you'd see all the rings, you know, around. And on the upper end, you see the branches, okay? And they're reaching up. And on the bottom end, you see the roots and they're reaching down. What everyone sees, you know, like, the, and, and I've said this before too, there's, there's two parts of surfing. There's, there's surf culture, Okay, and then there's surf industry. And they cross paths at a few things, but for the most part, they're totally independent of one another. When you see the branches of that tree, the leaves and maybe the flowers and this and that, you're seeing the surf culture, okay? What people don't see are the roots. That's the surf industry. Now, each of these things is vital to the tree and they grow in equal measure. And one can't exist. You can't have the, the branches without the roots. You can't have the roots without the trunk and the leaves. But they happen side by side. The problem is, is that, you know, um, working on the root end of it where we're at, um, people don't always see that. And where, to me, that is significant is like in the realm of millwork or scan and design. And people don't realize, like, how much of a factor that is in surf industry and in surf culture too. Um, and a lot of people don't want to know. They don't want to know. Yeah. It's almost like trying to tell a little kid like that the presents aren't made at the North Pole, right. you know? And 
you, this heresy <laughs> to like say that Santa Claus doesn't exist. But the reality is, it's like these roots are real and they're growing deeper and they're adding strength to the, the tree and the branches as well. Um, where this gets complicated is there's a lot of surfer shapers and I've seen, I've dealt with almost every one of them. And they, they start and they've got a novel idea and a cool image and this whole trip. And it's, it's like, whoa, it really captures people's imagination and excitement and the culture part, the branches, you know? And people see that and they're, and they're charmed by it, and rightly so. And maybe like there's, it's, it's amazing, okay? And they take off and they're getting traction and they're, they're making a lot of boards. And part of their whole trip is part of their whole branch is the idea that like I'm this I have this persona and like you know I'm I'm you know making the boards by hand lovingly and, and this is you know this this is how I do it and there's the soul and, and this but what they rapidly find out is that you to make it in the industry part and the root part like it's almost impossible to hand shape all these boards, yeah. uh, especially if you're trying to uh, glass them as well, which is another part of it, um, which adds like another whole layer of complexity, like being a board builder as opposed to just a shaper who drops the shape off of the glass shop. Um, it gets really complicated. And then what they find out is like, if they've been like super critical of the root part, you know, it gets really hard to maintain the branch part because you painted yourself into a corner and you gotta like grow your business and maybe you need the mill work, but like you can't have anybody know because that's gonna, right? It, it gets complicated, it gets really complicated. And I've seen a number of this, this happen exactly to a number of guys. What I love about Ryan is like, he's really the first one um, who's been totally vocal about the fact that like I'm trans I'm changing and I'm now I'm like I'm incorporating this into you know my production not all of it Ryan still hand shapes boards and we'll tell you that Ryan is a phenomenal hand shaper uh, and uh, it's evidenced by a number of the boards that we scan for him um, and so it's rad because in my mind like you know, people get really too hung up over the, oh, is it, is it hand-shaped or is it, you know, is it, is it, you know, in congruence with, you know, all my ideas about what a surfboard really is in terms of, like, the culture and the heritage and this and that versus, like, does the fucking thing actually work? Like, what is the bottom line, you know, regardless of how, how it was made, how it was made? That's what's really important to me, um, the intellectual property. And, and the design, to me, that has, like, more value than anything else, regardless of how, like, it was made. That's the bottom line. Does it work? Um, and I don't have to tell you that Ryan's boards work. They all work. So it's, it's, that's really interesting. So part of his transparency, though, is yeah. that the, the boards coming off the machine are labeled separately. Yeah, Love They're Machine. They're called Love Machine. Yeah. Which is clever. Yeah. It's a great little, it's a great, great yeah. name. Yeah, it was funny because the way he explained it to me is he was like, yeah, I was thinking about doing this and I wasn't sure. Like, And Ryan had actually reached out to me like a couple times like prior to the creation of Love Machine. And I knew like what was going on. 
you know, with him and I knew he was exploding and I knew he was making a lot of boards and I knew he really needed help. Uh, and so I was just kind of like leaving that, 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 that door open and then pretty soon the conversation started. And it was funny because in, in his mind he was toying with the idea like how do I approach this and I think somebody uh, had said to him like, oh my God, you can do this and you can call it Love Machine. And he was like, oh, my God, well, now I got to do yeah, it. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Which I thought was awesome. Totally. Yeah. Um, there are other, the other business or the other way that he approached this problem previously was Trimcraft which is an excellent, also yeah. like a very savvy, very smart way to approach it. Right. Which I'll just, for the listeners, it's worth mentioning. Um, they are not using machine. They're hand shaping those boards and their designs from himself, Jerry Lopez and Rich Pavel. And maybe they have others now. Yeah. I'm not sure. But it started out with those three shapers. And so each of those three shapers provided a couple of different designs. And then they employ young up, incoming shapers in a given region to fulfill all the orders for that region. Right. So if you can't buy a Pavel or a Lopez or a Lovelace, or you don't want to wait to get the boards, you can order a model through Trimcraft that is shaped by a local up and coming shaper who's shaping and building the board to the specs of those three shapers. Right. So that I thought was also a great way to kind of start uh, growing the business, fulfilling all that extra demand without utilizing, you know, uh, the machine at that point. But of course now the machine has relevance too. Right. For his business. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, not all machines are created equal. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think listeners aren't aware of. Yeah. They just hear machine and think it's all the same. Yeah. What is Paragon doing? What is the machine? Or more importantly, what is the scanning process? Okay. Uh, so my machine is actually a custom built 3DM and uh, 3DM is, um, was started by John Yao, and John Yao has um, made uh, some amazing machines. This specific one was one that was uh, custom designed by John for me. Uh, when we were designing it, I actually flew over to Maui uh, on the Hana side, Haiku, and went to John's house. Uh, the design was laid out with tape on his kitchen floor, uh, we spent time, like, you know, determining, you know, what I would need, what would be important for some of the um, things that we specialize in, which is complexity and capacity, uh, because we do a lot of large boards. I've done uh, several boards for the Big Wave uh, Tour, uh, as well as solid wood boards, redwood, balsa. But we also do really complex stuff. And some of those things you see in uh, Ryan's board, the Love Machine boards, um, with the compound cuts and layered cuts, which uh, requires tool changing and running a separate file in order to cut these um, details uh, into the board. So uh, having John design a machine that was up to our specs and standards uh, to uh, help accomplish the things that um, where we focus uh, in Paragon. Um, so... Um, there's a lot of machines out there, and I've seen some good ones, and I've seen some bad ones. Um, the one we have is, is very robust, um, and um, it's uh, it makes all the difference in terms of quality, um, is what I can say. Well, it's one strategy for running a, a cutting business is to 
cut as many boards as possible. Well, so you'd yeah. rather get an order from a large shortboard manufacturer who needs 50 of the same thing. Right. And you can just put them on a pr production line, right? Yeah, it definitely, you know, and we do, uh, we do quite a bit of that, but where we really shine is like, uh, there again for like the surface shapers who are doing custom orders and there's, um, you know, multiple different sizes for all the different cord, uh, customers and um, different features and adjustments of files and um, designing like different things. And we really try and get it down to the nitty gritty. Uh, I mean, we you get right down to like a 32nd of an inch tolerance um, and helping to, um, what's the word? Well, helping to create like these custom boards. And that's really like I feel like where we shine. We do yeah. the production stuff also, where yeah. there's multiple size size runs of a given size, but uh, the custom boards is uh, one of our strengths. So, can you explain? Um, I think on one side of the business, there is they could just send you a file. Yeah. You order the appropriate blank. You put the blank on the machine, and you run the cut. Yeah. Yours involves a scanning process. So can you explain what all those dots are on the surfboard and yes. what this device is? So that's kind of interesting because that was an investment we made uh, in 2020. Prior to that, um, we scanned all of our boards by digital probe, which is also very accurate. But what that is, is uh, we attach a probe onto the CNC and it goes around and touches the boards in hundreds of points over... Um, the entire board and the best way to describe this is imagine like if um, if you were a blind person and they were feeling your face and they would say okay yeah here's your cheeks that's what they like here's your nose like kind of big uh, but you know and then you get a sense the CNC is doing the same thing every time that probe touches down on the board it sends a signal which creates a point cloud on an XYZ coordinate system and that point cloud is the dimension of your board uh, we then bring that into Shape3DX, um, and there's an importation process. It's a translation, really, of the point cloud into the actual design of the board. And once we have that, then we can modify the board. We could maybe change the tail. We can adjust the rocker, of course, the dimensions, outlines. Basically, any way you want to modify that board, you can. So that's really cool because there's been a number of boards that we've scanned that are legendary boards. These are iconic boards. And then we'll create an iteration off of that. Um, and so you get a different design that has essentially the same DNA as the original. And that's an amazing way to create like another uh, amazing board. And I've seen some amazing boards um, come from that process. But, um, where we used to scan by digital probe, we did everything by that. Um, but recently, um, the laser scanning has come a long way. And that's something I've seen for like a long time. And I kind of fussed with it um, a number of years ago. And, you know, the ability and the accuracy really wasn't there yet. It's there now. And so we invested uh, in a laser scanner. And part of the process is you know, surfboards are really tough to scan because there's not really any geometry in the board. It's an organic shape. Um, whereas if you're scanning something like a machine part, um, you know, there's lots of geometry. There's lots of hard edges and fixed dimensions. 
and they're, it's symmetrical. Um, surfboards aren't like that at all. So in order to help the scan along, we put these positioning targets all over the board, uh, and it helps the laser to pick up uh, dimension and shape uh, and distance uh, and help to create that point cloud um, that we then import into Shape3DX. So that's what you're seeing there when you see all those funny-looking dots on there. Gotcha. It's kind of like in Hollywood. I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, sometimes they have actors on a green screen and they're wearing that bodysuit. It has, looks like the little mm -hmm. balls on there. It's essentially the same thing. Got it. You know? um, and obviously the more data points it's pulling off of the board, the more accurate the replication can be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And the accuracy um, by the laser scan is unbelievably accurate. I mean, you get, you pick up not just pressure dings, but... You know when you put a laminate on a board um, and you glass that in there, there's a little incremental amount of thickness, maybe like a playing card. It picks up that. No way. Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. Okay, then. So when you're making the cut, do you make the cut um, thinner to account for the lamination so, on the scan? Yeah, you know, some guys have asked that we do that. Uh, I would say the majority of like our cuts are right at the finished dimension. And the reason being is like, uh, say for instance, with glass, like this board behind me is two and a half inches thick. Um, when it gets into the shaping bay, by the time that it's done, you're losing probably like, you know, a 32nd to maybe even a full 16th of thickness on the board. So then you glass it and you make that back up. Got it. Uh, so I typically will cut right on the number. Uh, I know some milling operations will add like a 16th inch margin. Uh, I don't do that. Uh, I like to give them an exact replica. Rails are nice and tight and thickness is right there. Um, so that's how we do it. Um, how much finish shaping is required for the boards coming off of your machine? It depends, like, on how many passes we do on, on the board. Um, but, you know, say, for instance, like, if I'm shaping a Vulcan, like, I want to be in and out of there, like, within 15 or 20 minutes. And that includes boards with a swallowtail because uh, I cut swallowtails as well. Uh, and on my boards, I had uh, a lot of deep swallowtails. Um, so, yeah, I want to be in and out in, like, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Wow. Uh, and then we're on to like the really uh, intensive part, which is the glassing. Um, and so for me to have that um, ability to really cut a board that is like so close to, to being done is, is really helpful. It not only does it ensure um, fidelity to the shape, but um, it helps me because I'm a board builder uh, and I do everything. I'm a I'm a shaper, I'm a glasser, I'm a fin setter, I'm a sander, you know, you do all that. So whatever I can do to help that along and um, is, is definitely welcome. Uh, yeah. Is there any uh, limitation to the machine, something that it cannot replicate that the hand shaper can? Uh, I mean, now we're cutting asymmetricals. That was one of the things that I had done for Ryan recently was um, the rabbit's foot. Uh, and that was a very challenging shape to capture, uh, the asymmetry. Um, but I, I mean, I'm trying to think like, you know, we can do the, we can do the, the dimension, like the big boards, we can do the complexity, like, um, 
you know, one of the things I, I haven't done that I, I thought would be really interested to do is uh, my friend Devis, Dennis Jarvis, you know, and uh, his fireballs. You know, I had fussed around with, um, you know, not to infringe on Dennis, but just playing, like, designing, like, the channels on a fireball, which I pretty much feel like I've got it nailed. And just uh, for laughs, I w- was thinking about cutting one, but I want to contact him first. And, okay. <laughs> because that has not only the channels, but there's a step. In the yeah. Channels, right? Yeah, it's, it's a... a a generous step uh, that continues the channels uh, and flutes throughout the back of the board. And, um, and even the channels themselves, like those they're it's a fluted, it's, it's rounded in there. Right. It's not just like a hard edge. Um, they're beautiful boards. Um, but yeah, really um, uh, tough to design uh, digitally, but uh, we can do it. Um, and the machine can do it. Yeah. The machine can do it. Okay. Um, but asymmetry, like, uh, it would have been maybe one of the challenging things, but we can we can do that now. And ironically, that's it's, that's one of the things that's interesting to me is like over the years I've seen the argument that people say, oh well, you know, I, you know, I want a handshape because that's the accuracy, the accuracy. Well, <laughs> I've scanned handshapes from around the world from the top guys, and there's one thing I can tell you they all had in common it was asymmetry. Um. But what makes a magic board, you know? Right, exactly. What makes a magic board? Is it perfect symmetry or is it nuance? Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to ask yourself that. Yeah. But I want to give people a perfectly symmetrical, symmetrical cut. You go make it asymmetrical on your own, that's sure. fine, whatever. I'm going to give you perfect symmetry. Uh, um, <laughs> what do you, so we talk about, or I started the conversation by saying that the machine, the main service or the main value of the machine is that it allows the shaper to increase their business and number of boards that they're selling, essentially. Well, in maintaining fidelity. That's, yeah. So the question is, what do you see the value of the machine being for your clients? Yeah, maintaining fidelity, uh, maintaining, maintaining like uh, truth uh, to the design of the board. Um, and um, yes, like facilitating their production so they can, they can meet the volume that they need in order to run a business successfully. Um, but more importantly, I, I think, um, I mean, one of the things that's really valuable, and I've said this before, is that um, over time, like, I've become not just like a, a guy that mills boards and scans them, but like a docent of my own museum of intellectual property. And it's a significant museum. Uh, and some of these guys are no longer here. And if we didn't have a digital record of the things that they had created, I feel much of what they had done could have been lost to time. Um, and if you look historically, um, in history, like written account, written account, data is what preserves you know, um, written history as opposed to like, you know, song or, or dance or, or, or whatever. I mean, some of those, that part of the culture can endure, but really what preserves uh, and, and has that staying power is the data. And, um, and I'm proud of that. So, and we've, we've safeguarded and we continue to safeguard um, a whole library of amazing, amazing shapes. And some things, people haven't even seen like I've got shapes from 
Donald Takayama. I've got shapes from, I don't want to start spouting off because there's a lot of people, that, some people that are really, you know, maybe they would, I'll let them tell you that. Sure. But shapes that um, no one has seen. And I have a funny story. Like, there was um, a surfer shaper, very well known. Um, and he, we scanned all of his boards and his, his fishes and his mid lengths and his long boards. And he brought in this one. And, and he, he's, the, we, we scanned initially these two shapes. And that was like what he what he had demand for and that's what people wanted and we were milling a lot of those boards all the customs and it was really amazing but uh, along the way he had this one fish and it was more of a traditional looking fish and it had these like it looked like a pecky cedar fin on it and with twin keel glass ons and I said hey we ought to we ought to scan that and he said oh yeah yeah I'll, I'll drop it off and so he dropped it off and immediately went off uh, a surf trip, which he was gone for quite some time, like months. And so I scanned the board, and it sat up front, and, you know, I come to work, and I see this board. I leave work, and I see this board. And um, after a couple months of looking at this thing, I'm like, God, i got to surf this. So I grab the board, and I'm like, I'm going to take it out. So here I am, and I'm driving down the coast highway, and I'm going to go surf a place where, like, nobody, I never surfed before. Nobody ever sees me, and, like, because I just don't want yeah. anybody to see me surfing this board, you know? Like, oh, my God, what are you doing on this? It's not a Vulcan. Or, like, oh, my gosh, it gets back to him, and then I get in trouble because I'm taking this board out. Um, but I went to surf this little fish, and it was, now, now I have his other boards, like the Darling boards that everybody knows. And they're okay. It's okay. This board was insane. Mm. It was insane. It's never seen the light of day. Nobody knows it exists. And I've got a number of, of files like that. Um, and it's, um, so it's, it's incredibly valuable. And it's, an, it's, it's, so what's the shapers? Uh, I don't re know. Reason why I, I don't, I don't know. And I day. told him, I'm like, this is the one, you know, huh. but it didn't have, it, it was in, it was more of a traditional fish shape, okay? It didn't have... Um, didn't fall in line with his brand. It didn't fall in line with his brand and, like, the esoteric features yeah, that yeah, the yeah. two boards that everybody knew were, you know, captivated by. And I'll, a friend of mine calls it dingle balls. And fucking guys love dingle balls, okay? <laughs> they do. And on, on Instagram with the lights... I know. You know, and it makes an amazing picture, and you're just your mind is like, "Wow, my God!" Now this board it did not have the dingle balls, okay, but it was a fucking amazing board. It was really amazing. Turns out the fish works. The it, fish exists uh, for a reason. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. And the dingle ball stuff. You're right. It's it's a uh, novel, so we're all excited about it. Yeah. But the classics are classics for a reason. Oh yeah, this is but, a this is a phenomenal board. Got it. Somebody looking in for you. Customer, maybe. Yeah. We can, we'll hit pause real quick. Okay, we'll message me, all right? We'll make it happen. Okay, awesome. All right. Thank all you right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. So, this is interesting because, uh, and I don't know how much you want, are we off the. Uh, I didn't actually push pause, but I'll okay. not, not use it if you don't want. What? You can, but um, okay. we should talk about it first is that, like, um, 
So whereas the wholesale side of the production is a big part of it, uh, as I talked to you before, and actually I talked to Jeff about a rapidly evolving part of it is um, user-submitted design. Mm. And these are just guys, right? And like, you know, like this guy, he grew up in Lucadia. He doesn't even know who Wayne Rich is. He's a great surfer. Yeah, he's a great surfer. And it's like, I want to make my own board. Right. And I tell him like, man, there is nothing fucking cooler than making your own board. And guess what? We got a whole factory here. Yeah. So this is um, a rapidly evolving and expanding part of our business. And um, not only is it exciting because people are so stoked uh, to make their own board, but it's a a long opportunity, an opportunity we can't admit, uh, we can't pass up to establish logical pricing. Mm. What's logical pricing mean? Fuck, man, like there has to be a difference between wholesale and retail. Right. You know, we, we can't like go forward. That's a toxic price point. And let's do it. Okay. Let's do a deep dive then. Because right. um, I was going to ask you that actually uh, about... We got all sorts of shit. We have pricing, we got economics, we got fighting, we got all sorts of shit to talk about. I know. We'll get to the fighting last, I think. <laughs> but let's do the economic thing. Um, I was going to ask you about whether the decision to stop producing Vulcan or taking a break from it anyways mm. was related to the economic constraints. Um, I think you were good about setting good prices or... Uh, raising the price of surfboards yeah. essentially at re at the retail end. Yeah. Uh, so, but the question for that I had for you was if Vulcan can't make it, then who can in the, in the California board manufacturing, because you were setting the bar for pricing essentially for short boards and they were worth it. They were worth every penny and the consumer was willing to pay it. Yeah. So how much of the decision to stop making Vulcan was economic? Um, I think it's different from, for me because, uh, with Vulcan, because, um, as I had said before, I'm a board builder. Okay. I'm not just a shaper, um, where, and nothing against them, but there's a big difference between the guy who shapes the board and then drops it off on a glass shop yeah. and a guy that actually builds the whole thing. I personally feel with, if, if you're going to make boards, uh, and you're trying from the business standpoint, the idea that you're going to make a living doing it. If you're not glassing them, there's no point in even trying, really. Yeah. you got to be glassing them. Yeah. That's where you make um, all of your money. That's where you make your margin. Um, so with Vulcans, um, handling all the production in-house, um, it's a healthy margin. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a good business model. I would say that... Um, the majority of it had uh, was my decision was because of emotional reasons and uh, coming to grips with like um, you know, grief and, and loss and putting that in perspective and you know counseling and all that sort of thing. Um, I can come back to it uh, and you know we can fire everything up in the factory. Uh, and because we glass the boards, that's really where we make the margin at. And we did some phenomenal, phenomenal glassing, some amazing boards. Um, you, you just, you know a Vulcan from a mile away. Um, um. So uh, 
they're talking about the roots of the tree and allergy. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to discuss the economics of board building in California specifically because we need to ultimately protect the root system because it may go away. Yeah. I heard something about this land all around here potentially being for sale or already having been sold. Is there any truth to that? Well, I mean, it's, there's definitely a redevelopment. Okay. Um, now, um, and this building, um, say for instance, uh, the, the owner who had been a longtime owner and owned several properties in this, uh, this surf ghetto where all the, a lot of the production is, uh, he sold it and it was purchased by a new owner. Uh, and they've made a lot of changes. Now, um, I don't know um, if they're specifically trying to move, uh, like, the surf industry out. Um, I haven't felt that, but to tell you honestly, I know I'm one of, uh, with the previous owner, I'm one of the few people that consistently paid their rent, you know, month in, month out for going on, like, a decade. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think... To me, as an asset, um, we were a, a good and functional tenant. No reason to get rid of us. But um, I will tell you, like, I've seen so many people come and go, uh, surf businesses come and go in this valley. Uh, I have a joke that the road to Oceanside Surf Ghetto is paid with the, paved with the dried husks of all the people that came and went. Yeah. Um, well, I heard that the real estate development plan for this area was more transitioning towards residential well that has happened because across the way they opened a um an assisted living senior development um which i was really concerned about because there's a tremendous element of this area right in here is basically an active crime scene (laughs) last time i was here there was cops oh yeah questioning somebody right out front dude it's it's an active it's an active drug scene really is is yeah. what it is yeah um and i see that I, I see like the absolute devastation like the methamphetamine has caused uh, i've seen that happen over like the last 15 years um talked to the cops a lot a lot about it like how the formulation of meth changed uh and it used to be that you know the addicts were somewhat functional and then there was a change in the formulation. wasn't totally clear as to whether um, that was a restriction on raw materials or a different source. But when that happened, like the users go from from casual user to like ditch level, like that, and they don't really come back. There's like a really heavy psychological component that comes with it. It's really scary, mm. uh, and you see the fallout all around here. Yeah. Uh, so I was really worried about the senior center there because there's the donut shop. And I thought, well, you know, these seniors are going to come to the donut shop. What's going to happen when they, the yeah. ecotone between this and this yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. what happens? Uh, they've opened up a car wash here, which that is booming. Um, so I, I don't know what it's going to mean to us. What it means to California, I don't know, because really there's very little inducement uh, to make anything right. like anymore. And I... For a long time, I felt like I was the only one dumb enough to make anything, you know, not just in this country, but in California. Yeah. Um, As it were, I might have the last laugh. (laughs) Well, I would like to own my own building, though. Yeah. And I don't know that it would be in Oceanside. Where would it have to be? Uh, Closer to home. 
uh, closer home. I like the Bressy area. I have some clients that are already down in the Bressy area, um, and their building is beautiful, and they don't have the same kind of uh, homeless, homelessness and drug abuse and, and things like that. Well, so my concern with the redevelopment here was if there's a huge board building legacy here. Yeah. And if that gets displaced, it's a lot harder to open up a new factory, especially if you're laminating. Oh. The city is not likely to approve that, depending on what city you're in. And uh, so it's easier to kind of grandfather in the business and have maybe even if you sell it, a new owner takes over the same space and they don't have to rebuild it or all that. So that was my concern was if everybody gets displaced, you would probably only see 80% of those people actually reopen kind yeah. of a thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the protection of the California board building legacy is super important. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of, like you said, those businesses going away. And so the a direct correlation for the survival rate is increased prices. If board builders can increase prices, they can afford to invest in their own business. Yeah and the legacy of the future of it. Um, but they have to do it and they have to do it. And it, it, you know, they have to make that bridge from like cottage industry to actual industry yeah. to, to economically making sense. And, you know, in the past, historically, like, you know, there's a lot of board builders, they're not business people, you know, and they don't look at it from that perspective and they can go, you know, years uh, in trading dollars and hand to mouth. Uh, you can't do that anymore. And with inflation being what it is, like the silver lining in that is, is like we really have to establish logical pricing. You've got to raise the prices on your board. And I've been after a lot of the people that I work with. It's like, you've got to raise your prices. Good. got to raise your prices. Good. To, and, it, and for the health of the industry, um, for the health of all of us. And um, we, we can't, there's a lot of like, toxicity in terms of pricing there's a lot of people like poisoning the well um and yeah i think with inflation like now is a perfect time to address that and take a really hard look at it i do too and i'm glad to hear you pushing your clients that direction because yeah. like you said the cottage industry thing and the backyard shaper thing their idea of what is a good profit margin to run their business on they're just thinking enough for me to kind of cover my expenses, pay my bills, have a little spending money. They're not necessarily thinking about buying the building, right. having the profit margin in to buy the machine, having a profit margin in to properly pay your taxes, right. to potentially hire employees. All of those investments that you're going to need to make in the future to actually grow your business, yeah. you need to build that profit margin in now and start allocating those funds accordingly. Just to have QuickBooks on your computer, that's expensive, you know, things like that. Yeah. I think a lot of the shapers for decades never ever thought about. No. And there's no way for the California board building industry to exist in 10 years from now if the current shapers aren't making those investments. Yeah, I mean, the, for the business model as it exists, um, I agree with you. But I will see. I I will say that I see like a um, a new like an emerging uh, trend that that will exist, um, and that is um, the user submitted design, like the Surfer Shaper, that is not um, is not. They're making their own boards, right? 
and and they have their own designs and they're glassing their own stuff and and it's it's rad and I love it and I I, I will tell you that a big part of Paragon is um, is has been uh, helping these guys um, and they've got really cool ideas and they're really stoked about like their ideas and they've got some really neat things we've we've milled some some of like the most exciting designs honestly i've seen like in the last few years have come from like just guys just these ordinary guys ordinary surfers that decided like hey i want to make my own board you know so these would be the equivalent to a backyard shaper of previous decades where yeah. they go and just buy an individual blank and hand shape it but instead yeah they're learning the design software. Yeah, exactly. They're learning. And, and a, also uh, a growing part of our business has been training people, uh, has been training people on 3DX. And we've had a lot of like uh, backyard guys contact us. And um, 3DX is an amazing, amazing piece of software, but it's very nuanced. It's not user-friendly. Um, there's a lot of things that are, are, are quirky uh, and it can be, uh, challenging. So we've, um, we do online classes, uh, to help people and they learn, uh, the nuances of 3DX and the fundamentals of, of using it as well as the fundamentals of board design. Um, and, um, they're making some incredible shapes. Um, there's no doubt about it. They're making some incredible shapes and going back to the talk about economics and, and pricing, this has been a huge opportunity um, to address something that is a concern that we both share, which is logical pricing. And um, I take this opportunity in servicing these backyard guys to establish logical retail pricing uh, because you are not entitled to the same pricing as the wholesale manufacturer. Um, and so and we're very adamant about this. And, but it, we cannot, as an industry, we cannot miss this opportunity. And it's a wonderful opportunity to, ex, to establish logical pricing and go forward. Because I agree with you. I don't think that the business model as it is, the, surf, uh, the, the cottage industry, will make it going forward. But I feel like this model of the, servicing the backyard guy and establishing logical retail pricing uh, for this service is uh, it's it's amazing because uh, it undoes like decades of really fucked up pricing, um, and I've been really critical, uh, you know, about a number of places like that because they'll, you know, they'll they'll sell, you know, services or um, materials to whoever uh, at the wholesale cost, uh, whether it's uh, a board builder or a backyard guy, and now that's not right. Because if you're building boards, you're in, incurring all sorts of costs, and all of which, like you had mentioned earlier, not to mention now, like the water quality board and, and doing like the environmental study and keeping up with that. There's a lot of expenses. Uh, so, you know. Um, so the example there would be a backyard shaper can go to the local uh, distributor of blanks and board building materials yes. and buy something for the same price that you would walk in there and buy it for exactly build it in his backyard sell it to your clients essentially or you're competing for the same clients but yeah. you have all the overhead built into your business yes. so he can undercut your pricing right Got and it. That, that happens Got all it. The so what you're saying is there needs to be 
a different price structure for somebody who's not operating a business. Yes. And, with, um, with a license from the state of California, held to the standards of the EPA and everything that comes with it. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, we can't, uh, I'm not missing this opportunity. Got it. Uh, and so when a client comes to you, then you provide the blank for them, charge them for the cut, charge them maybe for the education of the teaching of the software. Yes. Got it. Yes. So then they have to sell the board for a certain number that is on par with the rest of what businesses are selling surfboards for. Yeah. But I will tell you that, um, I would say the majority of, um, uh, those backyard guys, um, they're just surf stoked guys like they're not like they don't really have any idea of making this like a a business uh they've just got an idea and they want to make it and they want to build it and they want to do it themselves i love the idea of like the maker you know and we've you've seen that like over the last few years guys that are making all sorts of stuff whether it's you know um via 3d printing or a cnc or or whatever but they're making all kinds of stuff and i look at these guys as like makers too and they're making their own things. And so to them, it's just, it's like the, the, the joy of that process, not so much like the industry. And to me, that like kind of speaks to like the soul, yeah. you know, of the whole process. Uh, and so I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I am too. I like it. Yeah. Real Water Sports is the real deal. A 1500 board inventory means that there's always going to be something cycled out at a discount. I just opened their website and clicked on the tab that says Surfing Sale, and there are some incredible deals. There's some Rawsons, some IPAs in Dark Arts Construction, you know, that are 10 15% off. But then look at these Smith shapes. Uh, Jordy Smith's brand that he owns with his dad. His dad's been a longtime shaper. And so um, Jordy got involved. They're doing Smith shapes. Real Water Sports has a range of shortboards for 30 to 40% off. So huge discounts. They have a 510 thruster, a 6-1 thruster. They have a 5-5 fish, a 6-4 fish. They are all priced under $500. They're priced at $495. That is a smoking deal. Um, they have Hayden's in this surfing sale. They have Lost. They have all sorts of stuff. And it's like going back in time 20 years to get these prices. 30 to 40% off crazy. They also have traction pads and leashes discounted at 40% as well. So uh, don't delay. Seize the day. Realwatersports.com. An unbelievable resource. Phenomenal customer service highly educated staff that can get you dialed into whatever board is suitable for your surfing and your local conditions. But now is the time to seize the opportunity for the discounts. Realwatersports.com. Enjoy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. 
It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When was the last time you surfed? Uh, it's been a couple years. Why? Uh, same thing. I, I felt like um, my surfing comes from like a very emotional place, you know, and, um, you know, with all the things that I went through, uh, I was not like in a really good headspace. Uh, and um, just, uh, uh, just before 2020, um, I had a really gnarly incident um, at Swami's and uh, I was nearly arrested and that um, that was really heavy. It was really heavy. Um, the residual effects of that have dissuaded you from surfing. Yeah, well, it just, it, it um, I don't know, it's a different world, man. It's, it's a really different world. Like, um, so what was the incident? Uh, so it was, it was me and John Frazier and um, Sean McNabb uh, were out surfing swamis, like kind of like on an off day, which is really the only time you want to surf that place anymore. And uh, I love that wave, and I'm a, I'm a regular foot surfer, so it's just, you know. And there's a lot of knuckleheads that go there, but, you know, you, you, you get the hang of, like, surfing there. You know when to go, and and when not to go, but and anyways, we had met, and we had all gone out for a surf, and there's this guy, he's a real estate agent, and he's a really fucking aggro surfer, because there's a lot of these guys that, like, they're these, they're professionals, right, and, like, they're surfing, their leisure activity is, got to follow, like, within this time period, they're yeah. gonna get in and get out, you know, and it's not how I surf, and it's not how anybody I know surfs, you know, um, but there's guys that are like it, and they're really, really fucking intense. This is the kind of guy, like, everyone, when you see him paddling out, everyone kind of goes like, yeah, totally. Like this, like, fuck, man. And so I'd had uh, arguments with this guy before, uh, and I saw him, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to paddle way outside and, and wait for set waves. And so that's what I did. And I figured he'll, he'll hang with those guys and surf inside. So sure enough, here comes the set wave, and I'm stroking for it, and I'm approaching him on the inside. He sees this, okay, and starts paddling aggressively towards me, and then deeper, and then takes off. Uh, I take off, and then he takes off behind me, and 
So he like back paddles. Yeah, back. but you're up riding first. Yeah, anyways. yeah, yeah. Because I was I specifically knew like what well, I knew you it was going to happen. I <laughs> stay away away from you. And sure enough, like you've gone so far, you're out of your way mm-hmm. to like make yourself a, a hassle. And so now he's yelling at me, and uh, <laughs> fuck you, like totally. You know, so I just conserve. Next thing I know, doesn't the guy dive and tackle me? at the waist and we both fly off our boards and get tumble and I'm like oh my god I cannot fucking believe you just tackled me because this sends a very clear message of how this is gonna go from here like if you lay hands on me I'm gonna lay hands on you and you're not gonna like how it's gonna go and when he came up I came up first it's on and I pummeled this guy. And then I held him underwater a little bit, too. And uh, everyone was like, oh, my God, whoa, whoa, you know. And, but I'm defending myself in my mind. Because mm-hmm. uh, I've seen a number of fights. And, and anyways, uh, now he's bleeding. He's bleeding from here. He's bleeding from there. And I'm furious. And everyone's like, oh, my God, stop. You know. So... He gets out of the water and leaves. And I'm thinking like, okay, problem solved. Totally. (laughs) Problem solved. Um, And my hand was kind of fucked up because this was, I don't know if you saw that accident I had. I I broke and I dislocated and I tore the extensor ligament off my thumb um, like three or four months earlier. And I was, it was just one of the first times I had surfed after getting the steel rod taken out of my thumb. Well, didn't I partially, in this altercation, partially tear the extensor ligament off again? I never got it fixed. So this is where fighting gets you. Right. Um, So anyways, I think it's done. And we surf for a little while longer, and then I realized my my back, where I got tackled, I hyperextended, and it's hurting now. And so, well, I got to go in. So I get out, climb the staircase, and don't I get up on top, and there's three sheriff's deputies uh, waiting for me and put down your board uh, step over here uh, now I'm in handcuffs in the Swami's parking lot and I'm like Jesus Christ now I'm I'm that guy you know this is awesome and um, a couple people had you know were like oh my god you know this is terrible and you know snout and uh they were freaking out and i'm like don't worry about it like there's nothing we can do now like i just i'm not not gonna resist just comply with law enforcement and and this will be resolved and um getting ready to go into the cop car and all of a sudden this gentleman steps forward and he says look he's like i'm not sure if i want to get involved he's speaking to the police but i have something and i think you should see it well this is a local photographer uh, his name's George, Ad, George Atkins, and he's an amazing photographer, and he had amazingly captured the entire incident, not just on stills, but in video as well, uh, and showed the cops. And, David, it was awesome the, how the shoe went on the other foot and the tables were turned. The handcuffs came off. Wow. I'm being addressed as sir, and sir, do you want to protect? press charges against this man. And they talked to that man and said, wait a minute, 
you attacked this gentleman, he kicked your ass, and then you fucking called us to... No, 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 no. So anyways, I said, no, I don't want to press charges. There's no point in you being here. This was resolved, and this is all fucking stupid. Um, anyways, like, you know, that combined with, like, all the things that I had gone through, and I think everyone can see, too, that, like, surfing is not like how it was, like, 10 years ago or, like, when I grew up when I was a kid when basically there was no one around. Um it's, it's gotten very crowded, um, and I felt like it was a good time for me to take a break. And again, because, like, my surfing comes from, like, an internal part, and there was a lot of, like, internal, like, things going on. And so it was a good time to take a break. Also got my uh, left knee replaced during that period of time, which um, is going awesome. I just went for some amazing hikes around Tahoe this last week. Um, so, yeah, but it's been a couple years. I'll come back around. Um, interesting observation though it's like there has been a number of people there's a lot of new people that have come into surfing and I heard Chaz call it like the era of the adult learner Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was funny the vow vulnerable adult learner the vulnerable well the funny thing is is I've never had a problem with a vow Uh, I've never had a problem with a vow I know how to stay around and can move navigate around them and yeah and by the on the by the contrast like i'm happy to see them because like they're they're stoked and they're stoked to learn and they're happy they need to know like the rules and like how things work but i'm happy they're there and like i'm happy that they're happy and they're having fun the only people i've ever had problem with surfing is is like the hard-boiled local bitter Guys, that's the only person I've ever had a problem with. What happened with the realtor? Does he still surf? I mean, is I, he I'm, still creating problems? Yeah, it's funny because I, I talked mean, to... I'm just wondering if you're, if beating him up changed his behavior in any way. Well, we talked about that, and I talked to a number of my friends, and they said, like, oh, well, yeah, he'll, I'm sure, like, he'll, like, have learned his lesson. And, and uh, I will tell you, it didn't change a fucking thing. Really? Yes, because I've talked to people in Cardiff who know him. One, a friend of mine who was telling me this incident and said, yeah, this fucking guy was surfing like a complete asshole. And I grabbed the nose of his board. It was like after like the second or third time, like he had dropped in me, I grabbed my board and said, hey, we don't surf here like that. And he, he got all pissy and this and that. As it turns out, it's the same guy. Wow. And it's, it's really, it's amazing. So no, it didn't change a fucking thing. Yeah. But what I learned is things can spiral out of control really quickly. Uh, You could, boy, the minute like you are in the realm of a police and courts and stuff, you've lost, you know, even when you win, you lose. Yeah. You could lose your business. You could lose, you could lose a lot. There's a liability. Which he should be worried about because his business is so public. Oh, he could be, he could be canceled. No, it was, well, and it's funny too, is because like, I know, like, I know like every realtor and like I, I build their boards or like we're friends and this and that and they know this guy and yeah. it's just stupid because yeah you're you're shitting in the well like right. you don't want to be like that guy but no did it did it change him no not at all uh, and, and fighting is is pointless and is stupid uh, and you know self defense is something entirely different um, 
than just fighting, but even that puts you in a, in a terrible peril. Like, you don't even want to, yeah, have to be in a position to defend yourself. No, you, know? you just don't. You want to do your best to uh, avoid that. Hey, you, whatever, you win, you win. Yeah. You know? So have you had any conversation with that realtor after that incident? No. Okay. No. Interesting. I mean, the, the shame of all of that is that you haven't surfed since. Well, you know, um, it, it's, I'll come back to it, uh, you know, and, and, and I feel like my mind and my heart are, are getting right again. And, uh, and when I, I feel like the time is right, you know, I'll come back to it and um, it'll be different. Um, it's, it's interesting because like, it's funny, people talk about like, you know, the stoke and like, you know, the, the freedom and the peace that like comes from surfing. Like for me, like I would see that like if I go to the mountains, right? If I, if I go to the mountains, I go hiking, or if I go snowboarding, and people are happy, and they're, they're joyful, and there's no localism, like, yeah, don't go that down that run, right. that's my run, you know, right, right, that right. doesn't exist, like, the, the joy, and the happiness, and, and the stoke, and the stuff, I see that exist there, I don't, didn't see it existing in the water so much, hmm. um, so, but I will come back to it, um, and my knee will be better, and I think it'll be a great experience. Um, with that and with surfing and also with the work you were doing with Vulcan, yeah. do, do you miss those things? Yeah, I do. Because there's nothing more amazing than, than building your own board and surfing your own board. And I, I've got models. One of them I've, I've licensed out um, that was a model that was hard gotten. Like it took me six if not seven iterations of doing the same board and making subtle changes subtle changes to get it to perform exactly the way i needed it to perform and then when that happens it's it's amazing but that process of of learning and trial and error and and and, and changing and rebuilding like that's an amazing process and there's such a you know i've, I've thought about like what makes you happy like in life and like accomplishment accomplishing things like and accomplishing goals like is one of those things that makes me really happy and i, I think a lot of people would discover that too and in, in building their own board and, and finding that 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 happiness and that accomplishment uh so yeah i i wonder i totally um hear you and sympathize with you for taking time off from those things but i also wonder if the process of those things is also therapeutic and you're missing out on some of that therapy along the way. Uh, I think conventional therapy is, is helped me more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think conventional therapy has helped me more good, good. with uh, my things. And uh, I, I have come to like a new uh, objectivity. You know, my therapist says like, you gotta like say like, you just had a lot of life happen. And I did, I had a lot of life happen. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the conventional therapy has, has helped me a lot. I was not in a good place. And honestly, I was, I had a lot of anger and I was, I'm afraid of like my anger, honestly. Um, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to present that to the world. I don't think anybody should, but I do feel like, you know, there's like, I, I love the joy of surfing and, and there is a, a certain amount of therapeutic benefit to work. And I feel that with Paragon. Um, and I feel like it's also been helpful 
uh, like I said, to play more of um, that role on the root side, you know, um, the supportive role uh, in the industry and done like amazing things and we've worked with amazing people and that's brought me a lot of happiness. Good. Uh, yeah. Uh, is there anything that you would have done differently about that fight incident with hindsight? You know, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I, I, I thought about it and I thought, well, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have hiked the stairs there. Maybe I should have gone down to like, you know, San Alejo and come up there. I don't know. I didn't, I honestly, I never thought that like the cops would be at the top of the hill. Um, I could have, uh, I could have, when I saw him, I could have gotten out of the water, but nobody wants to be that guy. Like you're all of a sudden you're dictating the terms of my life and you're going to force me out of the water. Uh, I did go out of my way to stay away from him, uh, which uh, I do advocate to anybody, you know, who knows that a confrontation is, is looming. Um, I, I don't know like what I could have done differently. And it was just by the such luck that uh, the man George had been there to capture the whole incident uh, because I would have been screwed. I just ask because it's a relatable scenario to be in. I think we've all been in that scenario where you have that asshole in the lineup and you see them paddling out and you cringe and it automatically affects the rest of your session and the rest of your day. And you do start repositioning in the lineup and then you're just running through all these scenarios in your head, all of that anxiety that comes with it. It's like, how do we avoid letting other people dictate our emotions in that way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to just let it go. I honestly, I don't think you can. And it's, it's hard as like, you know, as a man, like as a guy, like, you know, you want to stand your ground and like, you know, you're not going to tell me like I'm going to surf and you're not going to, you know, impose your will like on my session. But what I found is, um, and, and it, it's whether you argue with somebody or whether you fight with somebody, like you don't change anybody's mind. Clearly not. Yeah. You he don't change yeah. anybody's mind. I, I learned this from, uh, you know, Dale Carnegie. Yeah. You know, like when you, you fight, when you argue with somebody and you try and like convince them through argument of your way, um, you don't, all you do is you force them to dig their fucking heels in harder. The minute Probably. you push them is the moment they dig in their heels to show you and prove to you how wrong. When you, when you win, you lose. When you lose, you lose. There's just no winning. I think the only way you only thing you can do is through your own positive right action illustrate to people over the long haul that you know non-confrontation is the right way you know and, and I, I think you do that by, by being a gracious person letting them like have their trip you know uh, following the rules uh, respecting others respecting yourself uh, and hopefully hopefully over time they'll see that and say you know what what is, what is that man doing? What is that woman doing? What are they doing that is leading to their happiness and their joy and their success? How can I emulate that? Or, you know, I can recall very distinct, distinctly, like when I had that revelation, I realized like, my God, I've been an asshole, you know? And I hope that some people, I hope that he will have that revelation and say, Fuck, man, I'm an asshole. Like I, I hear from like, I see it from everybody. And in the world, when you bring like that aggression into the world, the world rises up to meet you in equal opposition. It's got to be a very hard way to live. Well, so, yeah, I remember somebody saying like, if you go through your day and all you do is encounter assholes, 
uh, it turns out you're the asshole. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So exactly. And that's, that's a hard, it takes a toll. So in that way, I, I feel kind of sorry for him. Uh, Cause I see a lot of people like that and I don't see it just in the water. I see it like, but the, but the water dynamics have changed. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the other thing is, him, I don't know if he's a Val. I don't know if he's been surfing 20 years and he's always been an That's asshole. a good surfer. Okay. So the Vals or the current surfers, as stoked as they might be, they're not going through the same rites of passage that we had to go through when we were young, mm. where there was a hierarchy and a certain respect. Yeah. Like the fact that he back paddled you, yeah. I would imagine in his head, he thought he had priority at that point. Yeah. No so, so you're coming into it going, this is my wave because of, the way that I learned how to surf and he's gone. No, this is my wave because I got behind you and I don't care if you were up and riding and you were paddling first, I'm up behind you, which means you better get off. Yeah. And so the, that's going to end in conflict always. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is problematic. It is. It is. It definitely was a problem that day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, kind of in closing you in a previous conversation we had, you were kind of candid and talking, uh, open up and talking about, struggles with depression and mental health in general. Yeah. I think you've already alluded to how the loss of your sister has affected your mental health. Yeah. Can you tell me what has been um, helpful in navigating through that stuff? Yeah. Therapy for sure. Um, and you know, now um, there's more um, opportunities and availability of therapy Um and it's, it's easier and it's a more affordable to do now than in like it ever has been. Uh, I found an awesome online resource uh, for therapy, which has been very helpful. And I've got a therapist now. Um, she's on the East Coast. So we have like a little bit of a, a time difference. But, um, you know, finding the right therapist is huge. Uh, and somebody that, that, that is key. Yeah. Finding the right one. Because it's difficult to uh, it not all therapists are going to be beneficial for you. Right. And if you have that bad experience and you spend an hour divulging all your secrets to somebody and it's not a great fit, you might just think therapy's bad for you right. or not right for you. Exactly. But it might just be that you need to talk to three or four different therapists until you find that, yeah. you know, connection. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a commitment there like to finding the right one. Um, I went through like a couple uh, before I found uh, her and, uh, it's been a tremendous, um, she has been able to like, you know, listen and see all the factors and get to know like all the players and then objectively say, this is what I think about this. And I think this is what would be important for you. Uh, and then you've got to, you know, listen and incorporate these things into your life and, and, you know, do the work to make those changes. And, um, if you do like it, it it's amazing the changes that can happen. Uh, and so I would encourage that uh, towards anybody who's listening and to talk about these things openly. And, you know, uh, being 52, this talking about these things wasn't always um, something that you talked about. Yeah. You know, I can remember like in, in high school, like, you know, you could not say like you were depressed. It's like, what are you listening you have scented candles too, like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, fuck you, get over it. But now, like, it's it's awesome. I find, like, we live in a world where, like, it's acceptable to say these things. And uh, and res it's responsible to take, um, to take charge of, like, your own mental health. 
Um, and I went through some really fucked up things, but you don't even have to ha- go through some of the shit that I went through in order to like to benefit from therapy. Good. You know? um, Good. Yeah. Um, where can listeners get a hold of you? Obviously, they can't buy a Vulcan right now, but maybe they do want to sign up for the Shape 3D lessons and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, info at paragonmilling.com okay. uh, is our website, and there's um, and we also have our Instagram, um, which has been cool because I show like the different projects we're working on, and and that's amazing too because I now I find people are like they're really receptive to the idea of millwork and scanning and design, the digital element in the surf industry more than they ever have been before. So you can look us up on Instagram as well, uh, under, I think, Paragon CNC or Paragon Milling. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's CNC. I'll post it on the website. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dane. It's been wonderful. Thank you, David. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, you too. Congratulations to us both. and Thanks so much for the opportunity to talk. And that is the always great Dane Hans. Not only full of um, insights about building boards, but always bringing the insights about uh, mistakes made and lessons learned in life as well. So thank you very much, Dane. I will link to his Instagram accounts and website on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I didn't mention it in this conversation, but we have in the past that Dane um, has actually innovated a couple of shaping tools that are incredible. And I know other shapers who have purchased them and used them and are uh, thrilled with it and impressed with Dane's not only innovation, but ability to machine these parts. So Dane is kind of the utility, the Swiss army pocket knife of board building and uh, surfboard manufacturing. So thanks so much for all of these insights, Dane. Always a pleasure. And uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you can go to see all of the things that we discussed in this show. I'm going to link to Vulcan too, because even though he's not making those boards now, I have a feeling he may in the future, and you should get in on that if you ever get the opportunity. I have one Vulcan, and the thing is an absolute gem. The designs are, um, or were, I should say, kind of innovative and on the fringe, and so it took me five solid sessions to really lock into that board and honestly going into that fifth session i had very low expectations and almost thought i just wasn't going to figure it out and as soon as it all came together it was a lightning bolt moment 
and the board has been incredible ever since and unlike any of the other boards that I have in my quiver. Um, it kind of looks the same, has the same dimensions in a lot of ways, but it surfs totally differently and uh, better in a lot of ways. So I'm a huge fan. That thing is a gem to me and even more so now that he's not making them anymore. So if you ever have the opportunity in the future, Vulcan surfboards, but until then, obviously Dane's doing other things too and you can access him through those projects. And um, yeah, we're also, of course, giving away that album Free Wing on July 1st. So that gives you about a week to get in on that. And that is just a gem of a board. I'm so close to ordering. I do not need another surfboard, but I really feel like I'm gonna order an album Freewing. I have a potential trip coming up and I'm thinking the album Freewing may be the board for it. So there's that. And um, we do these surfboard giveaways as a thank you to our supporters. You could support our work for five bucks a month. That helps cover our hard costs, but also invest in the future of the show. Uh, improved and increased content for the future. So consider doing that. We do these surfboard giveaways as a thank you. Next month, we have a Pizel a John John Florence trade-in uh, from Pizel, a Shadow 6.0 thruster uh, with John John's name on it and a signature, his signature on it as well. So look forward to that. And yeah, we're just thrilled to be able to uh, receive direct support from you, the listeners and then parlay that into supporting board builders who we know and love. So Thank you, everyone. Thrilled to be able to do this work. Uh, Chaz Smith is finally back. He broke his ankle last week, which is why we didn't record a podcast, but he's back on U.S. soil. We will discuss the ankle break tomorrow on The Grit. And uh, Scott Bass and I produced an episode of Spit that was just published as well. So go and grab that. And then I'll be back here next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. All right, until then, this is David Scales signing off and reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.